Welcome to the Jesse Garcia Show, your half-hour home for politics, culture, and art. We come to you every Monday with a new story about your world. Today's guest is Angela Gonzalez from the Latin American Youth Center. Angela works as a manager of a program which provides a social safety net for homeless youth in the D.C. area. One of the children being helped by this emergency housing program is Jennifer, who will join our conversation. I want to thank all of you following Jesse Garcia's show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For more information about the show, visit jessegarciashow.com. Attention DC area immigrants. The Mayor's Office of Latino Affairs is hosting a Know Your Rights Town Hall on Thursday, May 17th from 5 to 7.30 p.m. at the Franklin D. Reeves Center, located at 2014th Street Northwest. The town hall will be held on the second floor in the Edna Community Room. To reserve your seat and for more information, call 202-727-5634. That's 202-727-5634. And here's your weekly news update. Last week, the Public Religion Research Institute released results from its comprehensive survey on opinions about same-sex marriage. After 40,000 interviews conducted over nine months throughout 2017, the survey found broad support for marriage equality, including for majority of Hispanics, 61% to be exact. When broken down by religion, 65% of Hispanics who identified as Catholic supported same-sex marriage. Way to go, Raza. That's what I'm talking about. This year's Thanksgiving and Christmas with the extended family looks a whole lot better. But it's just not Hispanics. All communities, Black, White, Native American, Asian, and Pacific Islander, saw double-digit increases from 2013, the last time the survey was conducted. Marriage equality became legal across the United States in 2015 after a Supreme Court decision. So who are the holdouts? Two subgroups who still oppose same-sex marriage by large margins are, you guessed it, conservative Republicans and white evangelical Protestants. Both groups came in at an identical 58% against marriage equality. For more information about this survey, visit the website of Public Religion Research Institute at prri.org. That's prri.org. While many children will be anticipating summer vacations in the coming weeks, A growing number of youth will be challenged with homelessness and poverty. Studies estimate 2.5 million children in the United States experience homelessness. Even though LGBTQ children make up only 10% of the population, their numbers are overrepresented on the street. More than 40% of homeless teens identify as LGBTQ. Another vulnerable population is immigrant youth. Life for undocumented families and individuals is tough enough already with limited economic opportunity. But now imagine being a recently arrived Central American teen trying to reconnect with her parent that came to America when she was a baby and finding out that that parent has a whole new family and that their reunion is not going as planned 
after that long two-month journey to America. These are the types of clients who are finding their way to the Latin American Youth Center and are being helped out by my guest today, Angela Gonzalez. She is providing hope to many young teens in the DC area by connecting them to resources at the center. We will also hear from one of her clients, Jennifer, who's trying to reconnect with her mother who left Central America in order to establish a new home in the United States. I want to welcome to the show Angela Gonzalez. She is part of an amazing group of people looking out for children who are forgotten about, abused, and neglected. The Latin American Youth Center celebrates its 50th anniversary this year, and thanks to the great work by Angela, it will probably survive decades more to come. Tell us about the center, Angela. Hi, Jesse. Thanks for having us. So the Latin American Youth Center has been operating for a while now, since 1968, actually. Mm -hmm. And it started as a a group of people wanting to uh, fill a void that was uh, in in Washington, D.C. to address the needs of uh, Latino immigrant youth who were arriving in the area. And so that's how it started. And throughout the years, it has really evolved into the big uh, site that it's now. Um, but we started little by little growing. I know we focused in the beginning uh, on workforce, uh, GED programming, English classes, and, and then we started adding or, other components like arts. Um, there was a, a trend now uh, during the 90s with gang violence, and so we started incorporating programs to address that. In 2005, we expanded to Maryland. There was uh, families started migrating to Maryland, and we saw a need there too. And so in 2005, we decided to expand and we um, opened three sites in Maryland, um, Silver Spring, Langley Park, and Riverdale. Um, The last year, we merged the two sites, Langley Park and Riverdale. So now it's three sites, one in DC, one in um, Silver Spring, and one in Riverdale. And uh, our programs are very diverse. We we have four big areas, um, health and wellness, workforce development, academic support, and housing, social safe housing, which is the, the program that I'm in. And we serve about 4,000 youth every year. I was gonna ask you, what are the main reasons why youth come to your center? Mm-hmm. So it, it really is very diverse, uh, the needs that we get. Um, some youth come just uh, needing, uh, looking for help with homework. Some youth come looking for uh, safe housing. Some youth, um, get enrolled in our programs uh, through the schools. We have some programs inside the schools where youth can engage in after-school programming, and we are the facilitators. Uh, some youth come asking for help with their immigration cases. Now, we don't, pro- we don't specifically provide legal services, but we have very good relationships with partners. So you p- provide referral services? Yes, referral services. Um, we have uh, mental health services in our site. Uh, we have uh, GED programs. Um, workforce development programs. And one of the misconceptions, Jesse, about the Latin American Youth Center is that we only serve Latino youth. Um, So this is not the case. We serve any youth um, from any background, any youth 12 to 24 years of age who may need any type of service. If we don't provide it, we refer them somewhere else. So you've gotten that good that you've opened your doors to everyone. And plus, you probably get federal funding and state funding Mm -hmm. that requires you to have your doors open to anyone. Mm -hmm. Tell us about the immediate needs that you have right now, because you have grants mm-hmm. to cover certain things, but mm-hmm. 
where do you see a big need? Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting. That, uh, the need sometimes depends on the community that you serve. So I'm based in the Prince George's site in, uh, in Maryland. And so there we see a big need for um, support with emergencies. Um, we have families who don't, uh, don't have access to social services uh, provided by the government because they don't have uh, sufficient documentation. So we have families who may need help with emergency rent or to help with uh, paying for a hospital appointment or food or very basic needs that sometimes may not be covered by general funding or grant funding. Um, we, yeah, because if a parent, a mother or father gets sick, there's no income coming to the house. Mm-hmm. And how is that rent going to be paid? How is the groceries are going to get um, in that fridge? Exactly. It happens in every, you know, I could just imagine this family. It happened in my family when my mom got sick. Mm-hmm. We turned to the church and they were able to pay for our electricity bill. Mm-hmm. And we turned to relatives that were able to pay for our rent for these people that are here and by themselves. Mm-hmm. You're that social safety net. Mm-hmm. Yes, and we, um, you know, we, we do our own fundraising sometimes because we know that sometimes the grants um, don't provide for those type of needs. So we do our own fundraising. Uh, we have very generous uh, supporters that give us money, and we're able to support the community with that. Um, we also have um, services that are more community-wide in the last couple of years. Uh, we are doing more community-level uh, services. We have a food bank now uh, every month. And we're able to help the community in that way as well. Um, but, you know, it, it's like, as I was saying, there's different needs depending on where you're located at. But uh, we do see um, uh, a lot of needs for uh, social services, mental health services mm-hmm. that the community doesn't have access to. One rise in, in population that you're seeing at your shelters are LGBTQ from Latino homes. Mm-hmm. Tell us more about that. So in general, so I started working with the Host Homes program about two years ago. So I, I was learning a lot about homelessness and I was reading, you know, and, and the research is showing that in general, homelessness, um, LGBTQ youth are more vulnerable. I think 40% of uh, youth who are dealing with homelessness identify as LGBTQ. And this is an, an under um, a miscalculation that's actually more because sometimes they don't identify or they don't want to reveal their status, you know, their their preference. It's a um, safety thing. They don't want to reveal something that might get them in trouble. Exactly. And so with um, we're seeing a lot of youth um, 18 and over in the age range of 18 and 24 who get put out of their homes because of their sexual preference. And what we see, Jesse, I've seen cases of youth who are not only uh, put away uh, by their families, but also they get ostracized by all their networks. We have their own church turns their back on them, their family, their friends, their neighbors. You know, it's uh, isolation. And um, so uh, the safe housing programs that we have address that um, that part, but it, it's, you know, the capacity is limited uh, versus what we're seeing. You know, um, there's youth who... Um, may not have access to their medication because they are moving from home to home. They don't have a stable house, and, and they don't have access to us. Um, maybe they're having health issues, and they don't have a stable place to take care of their health, you know. Um, and, and so it, it's, really, um, it's really hard to see um, that they get so isolated because there's um, 
there's little understanding of their realities. So yeah. you know, so you have to do a so like a screen the, the the person that's willing to host this child and make sure that they're okay with the sexual orientation, um, gender identity, gender expression expression of this child. So you already provide that service. Um, who's that type of person that you need to be a foster home, mm -hmm. that host parent? Mm -hmm. What what qualifications do they need to have? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I should say um, first that our um, our center has a safe housing area, as I told you, and our housing programs are also very diverse. Uh, so we have um, the first. Um, the first uh, layer that we have is our drop-in center at our DC site. This is where any youth can come, take a shower, um, work on their resume, wash their clothes. That's, that's the first stop in our DC site. Um, from then on, if we have youth uh, that are 12 to 17 years of age, we have the host homes model, which is emergency shelter for minors. And the model that we follow is we recruit families from the community to serve as host parents for up to 21 days. And the goal is to reconnect the youth with their families. And then we also have our transitional living programs and independent living programs who are for youth who are older, 18 to 24, um, who may need um, support uh, to transition into independent living. And we also have a program specifically for LGBTQ youth in DC, where we have, a, it's an independent living program where we have a apartments where the youth can uh, stay there and, and they get service to support them, you know, individual case management and support so they can really transition. Um, the program that I manage is in Riverdale, Maryland, and it's the host homes program. It's a host homes program model. So what we look for in a host family is someone that's 21 years and over. Uh, they have to be willing to go through a background check because you're hosting minors, right? Exactly. Background checks, uh, um, child protective services background. Um, you have to go uh, a TB test, a tuberculosis test, yes. and you have to go through um, 15 hours of training. And one of the pieces of that training is our safer space module, which is how to deal with LGBTQ youth if you have one in your home, how to be an ally and a friend, how to make your home a safe uh, space. Mm -hmm. Because what we really need, Jesse, is that our model is not like a traditional shelter, which sometimes might be um, not the ideal situation for a youth. Um, I know there are some great shelters that do a lot of great work. In our case, we've seen that placing a youth in a stable and loving environment is really helpful when we're trying to manage a crisis. And I've seen the difference that it makes in, a, in the life of a youth when you place them in a stable um, space, you you can see the great qualities that they have when they're not going... There's so much trauma, exactly, so much stress. Or when they're not living in chaos. You know? yes. I, I do see the difference, and um, we've been really blessed. We've had really um, great host families, um, but uh, we don't have too many right now. It, it's, it's, a, it's a process. The main challenge is that people get turned off during the process because you do have to go through a process. Yes. You have to... But it, it protects you and it protects the, exactly. protects the child. Exactly. And the families who get certified, they get a $30 stipend for every day that they have the youth. And it's up to 21 days. It's, it's temporary because it's emergency. And I like what you say that you are working for family re re reunification at the end of this process. It's not necessarily taking the kid away. It's exactly. that it's um, 
situation where the they're having a disagreement it's just they're going through growing pains where it's just a teenager rebelling or parents are just stressed out and it's crisis management basically that you're doing and trying to get these two people to come together to an agreement and work through it you know i think that's beautiful that you're keeping families together and they just need to rely on you to be that person to guide them there and you actually have someone here that went through the same process. Can you tell us a little bit about Jennifer? Yes. So actually, I was Jesse. I was planning on coming here by myself, but Jennifer heard that I was coming to talk to you, and she's like, "I want to go with you." So Jennifer is a young lady, and and she's okay with me sharing this information. I check with her, and uh, so she's currently uh, benefiting from the the services of the Host Homes Program. Um, and she wanted to share her experience. She's currently staying with a host family, and she just wanted to tell a little bit about how that's helping her. Okay. Jennifer? So she's going to speak in Spanish, yes. so I'll translate. Or I don't know if you Can you translate to... for, sure. the, for the listeners? Yes, okay. absolutely. Jennifer, tell us your story. Cuéntenos su historia, Jennifer. Mi historia es que hubo... Yo a ella la contacté por un motivo que yo me había bueno, escapado de la casa, me había ido de la casa. Okay, so uh, my story started with you started when I contacted you guys because I had run away from my home. Entonces la escuela contactó a Angela, a Angela. Y entonces tuve proceso con ella, entonces tenía problemas yo con mi mamá y con mi padrastro. Entonces vine yo, hablaba con ella y un día, un día que fue viernes, uh -huh. mi mamá se enojó conmigo me dijo un puño de cosas que a mí me sintieron mal entonces le ella me llamaron y yo les dije que yo me iba a ir de la casa y okay pero okay hold it so and one day um my school contacted the host homes program contacted Angela and I I did an intake with them and they started providing me support but um, on a Friday I was having uh, I had been having conflict with my stepfather uh, and my mother and it was a Friday and I called the case manager and told her I was I wanted to leave my home. Okay. Entonces que se quería ir y entonces qué pasó? Entonces Angela me dijo que no me fuera a ningún lado, que ella iba a hablar con la señora de donde estoy ahora, la señora de la casa. Entonces al día siguiente que fue viernes ellos fueron por mí, conocí a la señora, es bien amable. Yo se me daba pena hablarle porque no había conocido a una persona como ella. Ella se aporta bien conmigo. Primer día que me quedé en la noche, al día siguiente me fue a decir ella, hijita, levántate. Es algo que mi mamá no me decía. Yeah, so, so then um, when, she, when she mentioned to Angela that she wanted to leave, Angela said, hold on, don't go anywhere. We're going to uh, talk to a host mom that can have you for a few days so you don't go out on the street and stay on the street. And so I didn't uh, know her. It was my first time knowing her. Uh, but um, she was very nice. The first morning that I was there, she knocked on my door and called me um, my little daughter. Uh, and she was waking me up. And so she was treating you nicely. Lo estaba tratando bien. Sí, incluso tiene un perrito tan amable que es inteligente. Y siempre salimos a jugar y la señora me lleva a la escuela, me hace mi desayuno, y siempre mm -hmm. la pasamos bien. So she also has a, a very nice dog, very intelligent dog, and we also play a lot. And she also drives me to school, and she fixes me breakfast, and we do get along well. 
Mm-hmm. Angela. Yeah. Um, you've seen the success that you see this, uh, that she's having at this um, um, transitional home. Uh, but you say that she's meeting with her actual mm-hmm. parent mm-hmm. and forming some bonds mm-hmm. to try to get her to that point where she's able to go back, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. So in Jennifer's case, um, she's also... Um, arrived recently in the U.S. in 2013. That's five years, yeah. And so with the community that we serve, we see, we see very particular challenges. We see a lot of um, issues that are driving homelessness that we don't see, may not see with other communities. It's the, the, the separation that they have when they left their home countries and then they reunify. They haven't seen each other in a long time, so it's a process to it's get reacquainted. Process. So that's what that was the case for Jennifer and her mom. They're... Um, I, we see them and we know they really love each other, but there's so many um, issues in between that they have to work on. And so right now, um, while she's in placement, we work with mental health counselor, case manager, to achieve family reunification. And so what we're doing with them, we did a first approach last week. We brought dinner and we sat them down. Uh, they brought the little siblings so she could see them. So it was just, we didn't talk about any intense issues yet. It was just like an approach. Next week, we're going to uh, be working a little harder to make sure that we do a plan and improve their communication because we're seeing that's one of the issues, the communication piece. And so one thing that I think has been beneficial for Jennifer is having that safe space where she can really think about um, what she wants. She has missed her mother. She's realizing a lot of things, her mother as well. So this separation has also helped them see that they really are family. And so we're really working hard so they can reunify soon. And and I know Jennifer is working really hard as well. I want to thank you so much, Angela, for providing these types of services because we just don't think about the whole aspect of being able to come to this country and reunite with your family, not knowing that there was years of separation. There's so much layers of feelings that are there that being left behind, Mm -hmm. having to travel two months to get to cross the border to come be with your mom, Mm -hmm. doing it at the young age of, what, 13 years old when she came over Mm -hmm. and only being guided by her 16-year-old aunt, 17-year-old aunt, both of them children unaccompanied and making her way up all the way to Maryland and being able to reunite with her family. Um, Why do you keep doing the work that you do at LAYC? What's the benefit for you? This, this, I get to see her. um, I get to see her, her genuine side. Um, I was telling her on the way here that I, um, you know, sometimes when we get calls and we hear, oh, you know, this youth is failing here, it's failing there. She's not doing what I tell her. She's not doing that. I've been able to see a side of Jennifer that I haven't heard from anyone. She, um, I get to see all the potential that the youth have if only they are given the opportunity and, and the right structure. I, I can see how much they can shine. And just being able to contribute a little bit so they can shine that light, that's what drives me, really. Just to be able to see everything that they're capable of doing. If someone is out there that wants to help you with your host homes program or wants to make a donation because you're a 501c3, which is tax deductible, how can they contact you? Okay. 
So for volunteer opportunities in general for the center, um, you can go to the website and there's a, a, a section that says volunteer and we post volunteer opportunities there. If you want to support the host homes program and become a host parent or support in any other way, you can call me or email me. I don't know if I should I give my uh, yes. and with, on our website. Okay, so my number is 202-247-7073 and my email is a dot gonzalez g o n z a l e z at l a y c dot dc dot org it's a bit complicated just <laughs> but but uh, um, my number is maybe the best way to reach me 202-247-7073 or you can also go to our website and look at our safe housing um, section and i'm based in riverdale maryland um and so it it's I can tell you that it's it's not an easy thing to ask. Like I realize, it's not an easy thing to ask someone to open a, a bed to have a bed available for someone that they don't know. But um, I can tell you that it's amazing just to see the impact that you can have in someone's life. And I understand you're having a big old gala coming up soon with tickets available. Yes, can you tell have, us about that? Yes, we have a gala on May 10th. It's actually our 50th anniversary, Jesse. It's celebrating. Um, and yes, we, we have tickets still available and you can also go to our website and purchase the tickets online. And you can, all those uh, funds go towards helping youth like Jennifer and all the youth that we're talking about that have no access to services that, you know, they should be having. But the reality is that they're not sometimes. Well, thank you so much, Angela, for coming on the show and for sharing Jennifer's story and for sharing your story as well. Thank you, Jesse, for the opportunity. Thank you, Jesse.